Here's another Bible study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Daniel chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. I'm going to verse, read the first verse of Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. So we're kind of given a time frame here in this chapter. It's the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. And before we move on further into this chapter, I want us to back up about 200 years prior to this event that we're going to be reading here in Daniel chapter 1. 200 years uh, prior to that, and I'm going to read to you out of the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 44. Remember, this is 200 years earlier. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and he who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens all alone, who spreads abroad the earth by myself, who frustrates the signs of the babblers and drives diviners mad who turns wise men backward and makes their knowledge foolishness, who confirms the word of his servant and performs the counsel of his messengers, who says to Jerusalem, you shall be inhabited, to the cities of of Judah, you shall be built, and I will raise up her waste places, who says to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up your rivers, who says of Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, You shall be built, and to the temple your your foundation shall be laid. What's very uh, unique, what's very interesting about that prophecy that I just read to you out of the book of Isaiah was that this prophecy was Uh, It came about, or it happened, about 120 years before Judah even went into exile. I mean, Judah and Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, the temple, everything was still standing at this point. 120 years prior to their exile, or prior to this time, uh, this was written. It was also that Cyrus was prophesied, and it's 150 years before he was even born. He is named in scriptures, and it's about 200 years before Cyrus conquered Babylon that that prophecy, Isaiah 44, took place. Well, what had Jeremiah, because Jeremiah also prophesied about the exile to Babylon, and we talked about that earlier, of course, in Daniel's, in some of the earlier chapters, but what did uh, Jeremiah prophesy? It's, by the way, a progressive prophecy as you go through Jeremiah, and I'm going to just look at a few of them with you. In Jeremiah 25, Jeremiah said, when 70 years are complete, of course, this is the Lord speaking through Jeremiah, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation. In Jeremiah 29, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. Imagine if you're in exile in Babylon, how comforting that would be to know that eventually you're going to go back into Jerusalem. In Jeremiah 32, property is going to once more be bought and sold. And then in Jeremiah 33, herds and flocks are going to prosper once more in the land. So God is giving them hope, even in the midst of their being punished by him 
for their rebelliousness against him. Now let's fast forward to three years before Daniel chapter 1, and I'm going to read to you out of Second Chronicles chapter 36, verse 22. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. I want to uh, go to Ezra because Ezra repeats this proclamation but adds to it. In Ezra chapter 1 verse 3, this is, again, this is Cyrus speaking. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the freewill offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Then the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, with all whose spirits God had moved, arose to go up and build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And all those who were around them encouraged them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with precious things, besides all that was willingly offered." King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar um, uh, had taken from Jerusalem and put in the temple of his gods. And Cyrus, king of Persia, brought them out by the hand of Mithridath, the treasurer, and counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. This is the number of them, 30 gold platters, 1,000 silver platters, 29 knives, 30 gold basins, 410 silver basins of a similar kind, and 1,000 other articles. All the articles of gold and silver were 5,400. All these Sheshbazar took with the captives who were brought from uh, Babylon to Jerusalem. So that kind of gives us a little bit of a background to what we're going to be looking at now. These people, the, the Jews here, they're in exile and they're given the freedom to go back to build, rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. They're not only just given the freedom to go, but they're given the blessings of the king of Persia. And not only that, but they've been given provisions and gifts to go along. What an exciting time that would be. Finally, we can go back to the land. We can rebuild the temple. Oh, what a blessing that would be. Can you imagine the joy They're once more going to be fruitful and prosperous in the land that God has given them, uh, had given their forefathers. Well, what happened? Well, Ezra talks about it. In Ezra chapter 2, it says 42,360 Jews responded, responded to the invitation to go back to Jerusalem. 7,337 male and female servants accompanied them. 
200 men and women singers. In other words, they had a congregation of people that went back to Jerusalem. They even had people in servant and ministry capacities to serve. They had servants, and they even had a worship team. Man, they were all set. However, what we're told is that it was only a small percentage of those that were in Babylon that actually went. In fact, Josephus said, many remained in Babylon being unwilling to leave their possessions. They liked it there. They didn't want to go back and be pilgrims all over again and go back to the land of of Judah and start building the temple again. You know, it kind of feels that way in a sense, starting out here in the church in 2022. Because in a sense, we've kind of come out of an exile as well. We've kind of come out of a COVID exile. You guys know what I'm talking about. You know, the thing is, for a while there, everybody's hunkered down and, you know, we couldn't meet for a while. And some churches are still struggling with that even now. But, you know, God isn't done working in this world. It's not like God had this like, okay, we gotta, I got to stop my program because of COVID. So, you guys, everything's on hold because you know, that's not the way God works. God still has a plan and a purpose. He's still ministering to people. He's still reaching out to people. And some people are ready and excited to come out of COVID exile. (laughs) You know, some are hearing the call and responding. But for some, staying at home and watching online, you know, I know that there's people that don't feel comfortable coming back yet for health reasons. I don't have any problem with that. May the Lord bless them. I also know that there are people that are unable to come. We have a gentleman that deals with migraines all the time, and, there's, and he's really struggling in health, and he just has a hard time coming to church. So often he watches from home. God bless those people that do that. We also have people that are unable, for other physical reasons, they're unable to be here. We have phys, uh, people that are from all over the country, um, even internationally, watching our live stream service. And what a blessing, you know, it was always in my heart to do live streaming, and then this kind of like forced the issue. We, we had to do something because we had to shut down for a while. So, so we did that, and, and so what a, what a blessing to be able to minister to people. Now, having said that, though, for others, it's just kind of convenient to stay home. You know, I mean, it's, hey, I can, I can you know, I can just kind of hang out in my, in my jammies, you know, and, and uh, watch Pastor Don on TV. Or maybe if I can, you know, surf, find one that's saying something I want to hear, whatever, you know. Um, we have to be honest with ourselves. Sometimes it's just easier and more convenient to stay home, you know, and, and uh, people get out of the habit. People get out of the habit of going to church. In fact, the writer of Hebrews mentions that in chapter 10, verse 25, he talks about not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, we're seeing the day drawing near. Things are getting tougher and tougher. How much more important is it to be gathered together corporately, physically to encourage one another? For other people, though, and I think maybe for a lot of people, this COVID exile that I call it, it's taken its toll on people. People are battle weary. It's been a tough year and a half, maybe two years for a lot of us, probably for all of us. We're battle weary and some people are just plain old tired. You know, going 
out, coming out of COVID exile, I call it, we're a fraction of what we were when we were going into it. When we were going into it, the, the fellowship was the largest that it had ever been. And we're going into it, and then COVID hit, and then and, and coming out of it, now we're a fraction of what we were before. It's kind of like what we're reading here, in, or what took place with the exiles coming out of Babylon. Some of them were just kind of comfortable with their life. They didn't really want to change anymore. Some of them were weary, and they're like, you know what, I don't want to, I don't want to go through all that work of rebuilding a temple, and you know, there's, there's enemies in the land, and it's just, it's going to be tough. I don't want to do it. And so they stayed behind. So what happened to those who did respond? Who did go back? Who, they had the blessings of King Cyrus. They had all the gifts and everything. What happened to them? Well, they lived happily ever after. <laughs> I wish I had one of those sound things, you know, the sound of the record. Go, <laughs> that ain't quite right. That only happens in the fairy tales. What happened to them? Let me read to you out of, or I'll just tell you what happened. We don't read it, but in Ezra chapter 3, verse 1, it says, In the seventh month of the first year, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. They set up the altar and started sacrificing burnt offerings. So they got the start. First things first, right? We'll get the altar. We'll start offering burnt sacrifices. That was in the first or the seventh month of the first year. In the second month, of the second year, work began laying the foundation for the temple of the Lord. So they're starting to do the work. But then adversaries came. The enemies, the people that were living in the land that, that uh, uh, the, the, they would eventually they would be the descent or the ancestors of the, uh, of the uh, Samaritans and other people. In Ezra chapter 4, it says, then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. In the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. And if you start reading the book of Ezra, it talks all about that. Their adversaries succeeded in stopping the building of the temple for about 15 years. They just stopped. I mean, it was just, they had so much opposition. But the adversaries, they, 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 uh, they postponed the work. They delayed it, but they didn't defeat it. Well, going back to Daniel chapter 10, that kind of gives you a little bit of a background. So now this is in the third year. Daniel is about 85 years old at this time. And he's mourning, probably because he's hearing reports back about all the opposition that the, that the Jews are having there in building the temple and that the fact that the temple work has stopped a couple years later. And he's just mourning and he's praying about the situation. And so if you look at Daniel chapter 10, verse 2, it says, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. This is a partial fast. Uh, he was full, he, he didn't have the joy. You know, there, he was, I'm sure he was very excited when the proclamation was actually proclaimed by Cyrus. But now he's grieving over what's taking place in Jerusalem. Verse 4. Now on the 24th day of the first month, I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris. I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with the gold of Uphaz, 
His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words were like the voice of a multitude. Now, there's a lot of different opinions about who this person is that Daniel saw. A lot of people think, or some people think that it's just an angel, and he's describing an angel in, in, in the splendor of an angel. It could be. Other people think that it's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. That's who I happen to believe it is. I believe that he has a vision here of Jesus Christ pre-incarnate. And I want to tell you why, give you kind of an idea why I believe that. If you compare this vision that Daniel had in chapter 10 to John's vision that he had on the Isle of Patmos in Revelation, it's quite interesting when you look at the two side by side. In Daniel's vision, he saw this man clothed in linen. In John's vision, he saw a man clothed, he saw the Lord actually, clothed with a garment down to the feet. In Daniel's vision, this, it describes that his waist was uh, girded with the gold of Uphaz. In John's vision, he was girded about with a chest, uh, with a gold, girded about the chest, excuse me, with a gold band. In both of theirs, in, in Daniel's, he said his face like the appearance of lightning. In John's revelation, his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Daniel said his eyes were like torches of fire. John said his eyes were like a flame of fire. Daniel said his arms and his feet like burnished bronze in color. John says his feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. Daniel said the sound of his words, uh, the sound of his words were like the voice of a multitude. John said his voice was like the sound of many waters. That, that, this is why I believe this is a vision of Jesus Christ pre-incarnate. Now I think it's significant, or, or I should ask, is it significant? As I'm studying this, I'm like, okay, what's the significance of having this vision of Jesus Christ prior to having a revelation of upcoming events? Because that's what Daniel's going to get. He's going to get. He's he's already had some revelations. He's going to get more revelations about the future. And of course, John in his vision, he saw Jesus Christ, and then he was told what was going to be taking place in years to come in the future. What is significant? And I think what I was drawn to was Isaiah's vision in Isaiah chapter 6. And I will just read to you in verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And if you know anything about uh, Uzziah, he was a very popular king. He had a lot of public works and stuff that he did. He was just, he was a great guy and people were looked up to him and he was, he was like a very popular king at that time, but he died. And then it was when he died that, uh, that Isaiah, his focus was taken off of Uzziah and he was focused on the Lord. He saw the Lord in his glory. And I think there's a message in that for us. Because sometimes we can get caught up looking at a man or an individual, a ministry or you know, some great teacher in the, on the internet that you like or something like that. And we can get our eyes fixed on those kind of people. But what we really should have our eyes fixed on is on the Lord. And then as they're getting a revelation of the future, it's important to remember that Jesus is still on the throne. He's in control. We need to not forget that. You know, if you look at the news, you look, you read about what people think are going to be happening in 2022, man, 
doesn't sound very good, right? Economically, it sounds like things are going to get even worse than what they are right now. And you hear all these things. How much more important is it for us to remember, man, Jesus is on the throne. He's in control. And so going back to Daniel's vision, verse 7, And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a a great terror fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. Again, I want to compare Daniel's experience with John's experience and add to it the Apostle Paul's experience when he was on the road to Damascus when he met the Lord. In Daniel, Daniel says, I was in a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. In John's revelation, he says, I fell at his feet as dead. In Paul's account, he says he fell to the ground. Daniel says this, I, Daniel alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision. A great terror fell upon them, so that they, hid, they fled to hide themselves. And then he says, therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision. John the Apostle says, I was on the island that is called Patmos. He was exiled to that island. As you read this, it seems like he was alone by himself. And he says, I was on the spirit, or excuse me, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. It sounds to me like he was by himself. In Paul's account, it's interesting because Paul gives actually, there's the first account that occurs in the scriptures. I think it's, I think it's uh, Acts chapter 11. But then later on in Acts chapter 26 and also in Acts 22, Paul re- re- refers to this and tells the story. And in Acts 26, he says, we all had fallen to the ground. So there, there were people that were with them. They all fell to the ground, according to Acts chapter 26. In Acts 22, he says, Those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So if you look at all three of these, all three of these received the vision alone. I mean, there were people around them, but they didn't hear the vision. They didn't hear the voice. They didn't see. They just knew something was going on. And is that significant for you and I? Well, I know in my own experience, It's typically when I am alone with the Lord, I'm spending time in his presence, I'm reading the word, it's quiet. You know, that's when the Lord reveals much, many things to me. That's when he speaks to me. He'll reveal something of his character to me. He'll open my eyes to see something. Quite frequently, it's when I'm by myself with my time with the Lord. And you know, sometimes the Lord will show something to me and it's like, this is awesome, I need to share it. And sometimes you'll share what the Lord has shown you or something. And people look at you like, oh, okay, that's interesting. You know, they don't have that same enthusiasm. Why? Because it's your vision that the Lord gave you. The Lord gave you it. And, you know, they may not get that vision. But I guarantee one thing. If you respond to what the Lord is showing you and speaking to your heart, they'll see the effects of it in your life. Because it changes us. As you spend time in the Lord's presence, reading his word, praying, it'll change you. And as you respond in obedience, whether they get the vision or not, they'll see the change in your life. They'll see the effects of it. Well, moving on back to Daniel chapter 10, verse 10. 
This is, I think, significant. He says, suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. Now, if you contrast that, Daniel's experience to John's experience, Daniel says, suddenly a hand touched me. In John's experience, he says, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. So this is, again, I'm not a scholar, but this is what I think is taking place. Daniel had a vision of the Lord. He's down. He, he's 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 hearing him speak. He gets down. He's he's you know falls down as dead. He's trembling, and an angel now touches Daniel's uh, shoulder and tells him to get up and start speaking to him. And we'll see that as we go into that a little bit further. In John's experience, John clearly says the Lord touched him, and then right away is Jesus speaking to uh, John. He says, "Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last." Of course, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So what did the angel say to Daniel? Verse 11. And he said to me, O Daniel, man uh, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Again, I think this is an angel speaking at this point. And he's saying, understand the words that I speak to you. He's going to be speaking to him in Daniel chapter 10 and also chapters 11 and chapters 12. This is this the the Daniel's or the the angel's going to be revealing these things to Daniel in verse 12 then he said to me do not fear Daniel for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your god your words were heard and i have come because of your words but the prince of the kingdom of persia withstood me 21 days and behold michael one of the chief princes came to help me for i had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Again, going back three years earlier in Second Chronicles 36.22, the Lord stirred up the spirit of, the, of Cyrus, king of Persia. And then, of course, he made this proclamation. But now we see that the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood this messenger, this angel. Well, who is this prince? It's clearly not Cyrus. This is what I believe is that it is a demon, a fallen angel who is uh, uh, standing against Michael, the angel. Excuse me, against, uh, well, I I don't know who, the the angel's not named here. Um, I have a mic guess who I think it is. Um, I think it's Gabriel, but I'm not sure. But, you know, it's interesting because the Bible seems to, looking at this passage, it seems to indicate that there are, principalities or powers in the in the spiritual world and in this case I'm talking about demons that have an influence on nations or governments or leaders of course it would be a negative it would be a it would be a, an ungodly influence um, and notice what the angel tells Daniel he says from the first day your words were heard I have come because of your words and then he says but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. The minute Daniel started praying, this angel is sent. This time frame, is, it's kind of hard to understand, but for 21 days, there's this spiritual battle of sorts going on. And on the 21st day, this angel then appears to Daniel here. That begs the question, what would have happened if Daniel had been praying and he's like, man, it's been 20 days, God's not answering my prayer. I give up. 
What if he had stopped a day short? What would have happened? We won't know because he didn't, obviously. Praise God. But that brings up a question that I want to rhetorically ask for all of us to reflect on. Have you ever noticed that you can read Facebook posts late into the night? I mean, you can read about it. It's just like you can. I had to kind of like stop reading Facebook because, you know, a lot of times I'm trying to study, trying to prepare, and I'll, I'll, something will happen. I'll, I'll look at Facebook, and then I'll find like three hours later. I'm like, oh, I wasted So I, I really have to stay away. But have you ever noticed that you can read Facebook posts, and, you know, it's just it's interesting. You know, you're scrolling and finding out about all these people, or you can look at social media, or maybe you got your favorite programs, TV or Internet programs that you like to watch. You have no problems with that, but as soon as you open your Bible and you start reading the Word of God, or as soon as you start praying, it's like either your thoughts, you get distracted or, oh, yeah, you know, you start, you know, after a while, it's like, man, I've read that chapter like three times now. You know, <laughs> I'm too tired, you know. Well, there are two reasons why that takes place, I believe. The first reason is I think it's our flesh. Our flesh, our own flesh is weak and it opposes our spirit. Paul said this, Galatians 5.17, For the flesh, flesh excuse me, lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. You know, a lot of times it's easy to blame our schedule, you know, I'm just so busy, or, or our situation, and, uh, or maybe, you know, it's the demon of the flat tire, or whatever. You know, you've got, you got these excuses for why you can't read your Bible or why you can't spend time with the Lord. It's easier to blame it on something else, because face it, that's the culture we're in, right? We're in a victim culture. Everybody's, you know, everybody's kind of got these, you know, excuses, for, and rather than taking their own responsibility, and and, and so that's the first thing. I, I think first and foremost, our flesh is where this trouble begins. But the reality is, there's also spiritual warfare. There, that is the reality. Ephesians six twelve says, "For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places." You know, the Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of insight into the uh, spiritual realm and the demons and all that stuff. Um, it just gives us glimpses, but what it does give us is what we need to know, basically. And, you know, some people really like to speculate beyond what the Bible says about angels and demons and stuff. Don't, don't speculate. We're, don't speculate beyond what Scripture talks tells us. Also, don't fixate on Satan and demons. We're not to fixate on them. And some people, that's the, they get all, you know, like, oh, you know, talk about spiritual warfare. And they're like the antennas go up and they get all excited and stuff. We're not to focus on that. We're to be aware of it but we're not to be fixated on it. I want to give you a few examples in Scripture where spiritual warfare is taking place, and I think there are some things that we can learn from it. In Job chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on, on, on the earth, a blameless and upright man, who fears one who fears God and shuns evil? 
So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he'll surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. That's kind of a hard thing to wrap our minds around, that Satan is, you know, God's holy, and here's Satan in the presence of the Lord accusing you and I and accusing Job here in this example. It's kind of hard to wrap our brains around it, but it's a reality based on scriptures. What does it tell us? Well, it tells us, first of all, our adversary prowls about looking for victims, have you ever watched like Wild Kingdom? I used to love watching uh, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. You know, I'd watch Jim Fowler get, you know, just torn around. You know, he's getting, he's, you know, t- tackling these zebras and everything. And the guy that was narrating, be careful, Jim. <laughs> you know, this guy's getting flung all over the place. I used to love that show. Anyways, you know, that if you ever watch that, it's always the stragglers in the herd that the wild animal attacks and kills. Because they're kind of, they're off on their own, or they're weak, or they're struggling, or they're limping, or whatever, and they're away from the group, and so then they attack them. Well, that's the same with our adversary, the devil, excuse me, the devil. He prowls around looking for those that are straggling, the spiritual stragglers. And so what are we, what are we to do? First Peter 5.8, be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's the first thing we should do. Or, excuse me, that's what he does, I should say. What can we do? That's what we want to focus on. Verse 9, resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. In other words, if you're going through a difficult thing, understand it's not unique to just you. There are others that are struggling, and maybe not the exact same situation, but they're struggling like you are struggling. How important is it for us to get together to try, instead of trying to stand alone, to stand among one another, to lift up one another, to encourage one another, to be in fellowship? That's one way that we can prevent the enemy from getting the stragglers. There is good news out of this that I read out of you in Job, though. Based on Job, and if you remember the Lord's uh, conversation with Peter right before his crucifixion, the Lord basically said, Satan's asked permission to sift you, speaking to Peter. And here, the Lord is only giving Satan so much permission. What does that mean? That means that everything that happens to you and I is sifted through God's sovereign will. Now, of course, that means like, God, why are you letting this happen? I don't have an answer for some time. You know, I, I read this morning about this little girl that was murdered, and I'm like, Lord, why, why didn't you stop that from happening? I don't know the answer. I do know that God is good. I know that God loves the world, that he's, he laid down his life. There's no greater love than a man laid down his life for, for, a, for another person. God loves us. But anyways, I can rest knowing that whatever I'm going through, it's part of God's sovereign will even if I don't understand it. Another example of spiritual warfare that gives us a glimpse into what our adversary does is in 1 Kings chapter 22. In 1 Kings chapter 22, 
the prophet Micaiah is called to prophesy before King Ahab and King Jehoshaphat. King Jehoshaphat was a good king. King Ahab was a very wicked king. And they are kind of coming together to battle these, I think it was the Assyrians, I'm not really sure who, but they were coming together to do this battle. And uh, King Jehoshaphat says, hey, is there any prophets? Let's seek the Lord before we do this. And anyways, there's a long story short, but Micah is brought, or Micaiah is brought before uh, King Ahab and King Jehoshaphat. And this is what he says. And this is where we get this glimpse. It's in 1 Kings 22, if you're taking notes, verse 19 to 23. It says, Then Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab to go up, that he may fall at Ramoth-Gilead? So one spoke in this manner, and another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, In what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, You shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, now Micaiah speaking, Therefore look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. And what, do we, what glimpse do we get? We get the glimpse that our adversary lies. Our adversary lies. And Paul wrote this in 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Speaking about our day and our age, the adversary is going to be lying. He is lying. There's false doctrines. There's deceiving spirits that is in the, prevalent in the world today. So what can we do about it? Well, I think what the, the main thing is just love the truth in your life. What, what do I mean by that? Well, first of all, know the truth. You have to know the truth, right? Psalms 119, verses 1 through, uh, 160, excuse me, Psalm 119, 160, the entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. God's word is true, and God's word is not a smorgasbord. You know, where you can go like, okay, that's true. I don't know about that. That applies. I don't know about that. You know, we can pick and choose what's true and what we want to obey or whatever. God's word's not that. It's in completely true. Also, God's truth is timeless. It's timeless. Um, it doesn't change. It's not like it's out of style now. I mean, God didn't understand what life was like in 2021 or 2022. No, Mankind, you know, our human nature hasn't changed. We're still the same as we were way back when. God's word is timeless. God's truth is timeless. So know God's word. That's the very first thing. You've got to know what the truth is. Secondly, you have to live the truth in your lives. Jesus was speaking to the, hypoc or to the uh, Pharisees. And these guys were professional religious people. And he said to them, Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. They knew the truth, but they weren't living the truth. 
James says in 1 verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. So we're to live the truth in our lives. And then finally, we're to speak the truth. And I'll use that caveat in love with one another because sometimes people, they just like to just speak the truth and they don't care how it's received. They don't care you know, how they say it. They just blah, you know. We're to speak the truth in love. Proverbs 26, or excuse me, 27, verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So there's another glimpse. The enemy lies, our adversary lies. So we're to know the truth, live the truth, speak the truth to one another. Our adversary also accuses us before the Father, and we see that in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. It says, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. It says, now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, see, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they put the clothes on him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. The enemy, our adversary, accuses us before the Father. So what can we do about it? Well, of course, you know, a lot of times when I'm being accused, it's not like he's lying. I've done something. I've sinned. I've failed. I've been a hypocrite or whatever. You repent of your sin. That's the very first thing. You've you got to repent of it. And of course, the Bible says when we repent of our sins, God's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. So you're forgiven, you're cleansed, but sometimes that guilt's still there because the accusations. What do we do? Well, don't be paralyzed. Press on. Philippians 3, verse 12, Not that I have already obtained or I am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We fail, we blow it, we sin, but you know what? You repent of your sins, you get up and you keep going. You keep going because God is, God loves you and he's got a plan and a purpose for each one of us. For those who are here, and I would say there's probably a fair amount of people here who are battle-weary and just plain old tired. It's like, oh, 2022, I I don't know if I can handle any more of this change that's going on and all this stuff. For those that are battle-weary and tired, I want to encourage you with what Paul wrote, Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Man, don't you just keep on being faithful because in due season, and I think that season's coming closer and closer, we'll reap if we don't lose heart. So what's in store for us in 2022? Well, if you read the news, it doesn't sound too good. I mean, uh, it, it doesn't sound very good. But I know God still has a plan. He still has a purpose. He's still using his church you and i the body of christ to reach out to a lost and a dying world around us there's a door that's open for us i think women are going to be looking at that right i think in in revelation i believe they're coming up to that i know that right about the open door 
I believe that the Lord has given us an open door as a ministry. I've just, God's been faithful to this church. I'm just thankful for what he's done. And I believe that he's not finished with Calvary Chapel Rochester. I think he's got a plan for us. So what's in store? I don't know, but I knew I'd like what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. 16, excuse me, says, For a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Now, I wish I could say, you know what, we're going to live happily ever after. You know, everything's going to be hunky-dory going on. We're going to have adversaries. We're going to have opposition. There's going to be spiritual warfare that's going to take place in 2022. And I think it's just going to get worse and worse as the, as the, as the devil, our, our adversary, knows that his time is drawing short. It's going to become more fierce and more pressure. So there is going to be adversaries. So what are we going to do? And I kind of wanted to just address us as a local fellowship here. Well, the one thing we need to understand is that our adversary, the devil, hates whatever God loves. Whatever God loves, Satan hates. God loves you. (laughs) Satan hates you. He's out to destroy you. He's out to paralyze you with fear or whatever. He's the, he wants to keep you silenced. He wants to keep you feeling defeated. He'll do anything he can to destroy you. He hates you. He hates your children. He's not, he doesn't like, oh, what a cute little... No, he hates children because God loves children. He hates children. He hates families. He hates marriages. So what are we going to do at Calvary Chapel in 2022? I really, I've been praying about this and, and uh, you know, it's not like this is a new thing we're doing, but I've just encouraged that these are some areas that I think I want to focus on as a pastor and as, as our church. And one is to focus on the family. In fact, I'll start a ministry. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> focus on the family. That sounds really good. No, listen, I do want to focus on families, but you know, the core of a family is the marriage. The core of the family starts with the marriage. We could focus on a children's ministry. I'm not, we could focus on a children's ministry. I'd love to do that. Um, but if we minister to the children, we don't minister to the family and the home. It's, you know, we've got to start with the marriages. And so I am committing to trying to strengthen the marriages that are in this fellowship and also strengthen, because we have a lot of single people, strengthen people for marriage. Prepare you for marriage. I think that's equally important. We're going to be focusing on that in 2022. Our adversary hates prayer. And we know, we've seen that God works through the prayers of his people. And so I am committed to providing more opportunities to pray corporately. Now, I can't, I mean, I'm, I'm encouraging you to pray and read the Bible on your own and stuff. And, and you know, that's something I, you got to just decide that that's what you want to do. Um, but I'm going to give you opportunities here, give us opportunities to pray corporately, to gather together, to encourage one another, to build one another up. Our adversary picks off stragglers. And uh, so I want to provide more opportunities for fellowship, for encouragement, for accountability. The women, you, you women have been blessed because you have a really a good women's ministry. You've got, you've got women's Bible study. You've got Java with Jesus. There's, there's things that take place during the year for the women. And, you know, it's great. Um, us guys, <laughs> we're not, it's not as good, okay? We're, we're kind of guys are guys, and, and uh, I'll, I'll be the first one to say I'm, it's probably mostly my fault, but 
that's an area where we can grow in the fellowship, and that's where I'm feeling called that we need to grow in that area for men. And so one of the things we're going to do is a spaghetti dinner that I just, I just I'm going to be planning and preparing and stuff. We're going to have a spaghetti dinner to encourage one another. We had that men's fellowship not too long ago, and it was really encouraging. I want to keep doing that. Also, if you look at the, if those of you that are from here and you know our fellowship, um, you know there's a lot of single people in our ministry here, in our fellowship here. I want to focus on ministering to single people. I don't know what it's going to look like, but that's one thing that I am committed to focusing on in this coming year. There's area for growth there as well. The adversary wants to hinder the work of the kingdom, and the other thing I want to do is look for opportunities for us to serve others and to reach out into our community. You know, for a while there, we've just were hunkered down. We're just kind of trying to make it through and survive. We're beyond that. We're coming out of that exile. Let's press on and see what the Lord wants to do. And so for the battle-weary, and I know there's people here that are battle-weary, for the tired, for those who feel defeated, they're either paralyzed by failures or fear. They're just afraid to step forward. For those who are comfortable and content, and I would just say also known as, I think, stagnant in your faith, for all of us, let's not be like the many that Josephus talked about. Many remained in Babylon being unwilling to leave their possessions. Let's press on in 2022. And with that, I want to close, because we'll pick up Daniel chapter, we'll pick up verse 14 as we go on next week. But I want to just close and spend this time. This is the first Sunday of the year. We're going to have communion together. What a great way to start off the first Sunday of the, of the year. But I also want us to prayerfully respond to what maybe what the Lord's speaking to you in your own heart. So we're going to have a few moments of prayer. And, uh, and then after that, I'll invite the worship team to come up. Um, I just want to just give you guys an opportunity. Um, if you're feeling, and you can, guys can close your eyes if you want. If you're feeling like the Lord, Lord spoke to you this morning and you want to press on and you want to go beyond where you're at right now, I just want to, I want to rededicate, renew my walk with the Lord this morning. And I want to encourage you to do that too. So if you're feeling that way, if you want to raise your hand, I want to pray for you. I won't name names or point anybody out, but I want to pray for you. And uh, anybody here? Okay, I see a few hands. All right. Let's pray together. Father, you see the hands of the people that are, that are uh, Lord, your spirit spoke to them today. And Lord, they want to respond. Lord, they want to press on. Lord, I pray that as we begin this new year, Lord, we rededicate ourselves to you this morning. Lord, we ask for a renewal in our walk. Lord, I pray that, Lord, as we press on uh, into 2022, Lord, that our devotional time with you would, would grow. Lord, may we fall in love with your word. May we fall in love with prayer. Lord, may we find those times. May we, may we make those, create those times when we can spend in your presence where we can hear your voice speaking to us. Lord, as we move forward, I pray that you would encourage us to be in fellowship with one another, to be accountable to one another, to encourage one another, Lord. And so, Lord, this morning, we just give you this, this new year. Lord, we ask that you would bless the new year. Lord, we don't know what it holds, but Lord, we just we just want whatever door is open for us as individuals and as a church, Lord, may we boldly by faith step through and walk in faith through those open opportunities that you give us. And so we bless you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you guys.